Well, you'll have to promise not to fall asleep in the first few sentences. I don't want to lose you, but I'm going to talk about science for just a second. I didn't expect that reaction. In the world of physics, there are some disciplines that are working to solve what is called the final theory, or the master theory, or the ultimate theory, or the unified field theory. Slight differences between them, but all really the same thing, and all actually fall under a moniker that wasn't really meant to be taken seriously, but now everyone uses it, and it's called the theory of everything. And the theory of everything is essentially a hypothetical, singular, all-encompassing, coherent, theoretical framework that describes and fully explains and links together all things in the universe. Now, there are some laws that make that proving and solving the theory of everything essentially, at least to this point, impossible. And here's why, because so far, there are consistencies and absolutes seemingly in science that apply to one area of physics that do not apply to another area. Therefore, those laws can't explain everything. You can't apply them equally. Now, before we come down too heavily and uh, 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 we get mad at all of our very brilliant scientific minds for not having all the answers, the theory of everything is unsolvable in almost everything. In relationships, in monies, in monies, in, in politics, in problem solving, having one rule that applies to everything seems unworkable. That's why relationship counselors and leadership coaches say that we should stay away from phrases like, I always do all the work around the house, right? And you never listen to me. And nothing's ever going to change or get better. Or this one, which every husband in here knows is an absolute untruth, an irrefutable lie that when you ask what's wrong and she says everything's fine, <laughs> you don't know the thing that's not fine, but you know there's a thing that's not fine. Everything is not fine. And I think you get the point that it's really impossible to apply the rule of everything to anything. That is with one exception. And that exception is laid out in scripture. As a matter of fact, it's the consistent, unchanging will of God that we are always thankful for every situation and circumstance, and there is never a reason to not give thanks in everything. Let me say it again, there is an exception to the theory of everything that applies to literally nothing else, but does apply to this, that 
there is really never a reason to not give God thanks in everything. Paul, the pastor of this church in Thessalonica, just south of Jersey, and he said, (laughs) in 1 Thessalonians, he says this, give thanks in everything. Everyone say, in everything. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Then he writes to the Christ followers in Ephesus, and he says this in Ephesians 5.20, almost identical. He says, always give thanks to God the Father for everything. Give thanks to him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was asking them for what seemed almost impossible because they were facing hardships and challenges and disappointments and difficulties and struggles and conflicts and pain and loss in all of the areas that you and I do in relationships and family and workplaces, in their faith, in their marriages, in their communities, in their politics, in their finances, in all the ways that you and I feel loss and pain, they were feeling that as well. And Paul was telling them to be as thankful for poverty as they were for prosperity. Be as thankful for the pain as you are for pleasure in your life. Give God thanks for all the no's that you're experiencing as well as all the yeses. To show gratitude for sickness, the same gratitude you show for health. And on a human level, on a very practical, everyday human level, that feels impossible. And I will tell you, it absolutely is impossible. If we continue to see gratitude as a currency that we give in exchange for, that we offer up only when life is good, and only when we're getting our way, and only when circumstances are favorable, and only when our health is strong, and only when our bank accounts and our wallets are full, and only when we're happy and content, and only when we feel confident and excited about our future. You see, that's what thanks has become. It's something we give up when we get something that we want in our lives. And it feels impossible then to say, be as free with that currency because you don't ever really run out of it. You only become stingy with it. You can be as thankful in all of those circumstances in everything as you are in some things. But you see, even as we say that out loud, even as I say, we only give thanks when things are going our way. We only give thanks when things uh, happen that we want to happen we start feeling the tinge of truthfulness that convicts us and reminds us that that is how things typically go for us. And if we saw this in the life of a child, we'd tell them they need to grow up and understand that you can't be that selfish with your thanks. You need to be, I mean, do you remember when your aunt or your grandma would give you socks or underwear for Christmas? and your parents would pinch your shoulder really hard if you didn't say thank you with some real enthusiasm and sincerity? Because they were thinking of you, because you needed those things, but we don't want socks or underwear. I mean, as adults we do now, we're like, yeah, have you seen my socks? I definitely need socks. And you don't want to see my underwear, I definitely need underwear. But as kids, we want toys. 
and video games. But we, in our immaturity and in our selfishness, we don't understand that difficulties and challenges and even pain, discomfort, obstacles, loss, there's a value and a worth to them that change us and mature us and grow us and strengthen us when we're going through them, when we're face to face with hardships and pains and hurts and conflicts and difficulties and all the things we wish we could avoid in life. But have you ever met somebody who's never had a difficulty? who's only had things go their way. There's a few that get protected like that early in life and they're spoiled and they're miserable and they're impossible to be around because there's no maturity in them, there's no empathy in them, there's no kindness in them because they've never experienced anything difficult in their life. You and I know that maturity and growth and health comes from the hardest things in our life. Grab your notes if you don't already have them out Being thankful in everything is only possible for me if my thanks is number one, not for something, but rather to someone. It's not for something, but to someone. So as we grow up, our relationship with our parents is complicated, right? Very early on, we don't maybe consciously know this, but we recognize them as our providers and our protectors. They're the givers of love and affection. They instruct us and direct us and they shape us, they help us make choices and they teach us how to do things on our own and become independent and how to figure, thing out, figure things out for ourselves. Then there comes a stage when we start exercising that independence and we start doing things on our own and they become our disciplinarians. They become our correctors and we don't like those roles at all. We start saying things like, that's not fair. When we wanna choose what we eat, I don't wanna eat that, I wanna eat this. Well, you can't eat that. I'm not giving you, that's not fair. Well, I want to go spend the night at this front. You're not doing it tonight. It's a school night. That's not fair. Anytime something's withheld from us that we believe we deserve or should be in our life, it's not fair when they say no. But anytime, amazingly, they say yes to us, that's fair. That's the fair thing. That's the good thing. Then as teenagers, we evolve into these really cynical, bitter young people that only see our parents as obstacles to anything that makes us happy or allows us to have fun. Parents humiliate us in front of our friends. God has put them on earth to sabotage our lives to be as boring and sad as our parents' lives are, preventing us from enjoying even a solitary moment of independence and pleasure. But then we begin to make a journey into our adulthood and it starts happening when we kind of either go off to college on our own and our parents say, hey, you know, we're going to help with tuition and we can maybe keep you on the car insurance, but, you know, spending money, meals, your books, things like that, you're going to need to take care of. And we start realizing how hard it is to be on our own. And then we get a little older and we start experiencing even more 
And we start realizing that the discipline in our lives, the saying no was as loving as the privileges that they gave us. And we start understanding that the no's were as important to our happiness as the yeses were. And that the rules that felt so unfair at a certain time in our life were there to protect us from our own self-destructive, impulsive, self-centeredness. And in all that, we realize that the measure of their character and heart is what makes up the substance of our parents, not these moments in which we saw them as being fair or unfair. We don't reduce them down anymore to, I like this when they did this and I don't like it when they did this. In other words, we start to understand that everything our parents did was based on their love, their integrity, their character, and their desire for us to succeed in life. Hebrews 15, uh, 13, 15 through 16, gives us instruction on how to detach our thanks from the unpredictable some things and start directing it to the predictable someone. Through him, then let us continually, him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Through Jesus, then let us. That is the fruit of our lips, what we say, the thanksgiving that comes out of our mouth, acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Act like you understand how good God is to you by saying it and doing it. Act like you understand that it's not about the individual moments, but about the character of the one who's your provider and your protector, who's the giver of yeses and the giver of noes, who's the rule maker and the disciplinarian that saves us from our own destructive selves. Number two is this, being thankful in everything is only possible for me if my thanks is a lifestyle I'm living, not an emotion I'm responding to a lifestyle I'm living, not a emotion I'm responding to. So play along with me for a second. I want you to very quickly, and this shouldn't be hard because these usually come to us quickly, think of the most difficult thing you've ever been through. The most difficult thing you've ever been through. And now I want you to think of the kinds of emotions that you associate with that difficult time. Now, conversely, I want you to think about the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I don't want to plant what that might be, but that probably will come with some ease as well. And there might even be some things that compete for that spot. And now I want you to think about the emotions that you associate with that. And here's a question that you should ask yourself. Are the emotions that I felt during the worst time of my life the same as the emotions I felt in the best time of my life. And I think there wouldn't be a single person in here who would say, yes, during the best time of my life, I felt lonely and desperate and sad and angry and confused and even hopeless. I felt a weight on me that I thought was literally going to crush the life out of me. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't think. All I felt was pain. Nobody would associate that with the best time in your life. And 
the euphoric feelings and emotions that you felt during the best time in your life, you would never have applied happiness and contentment and satisfaction and joy and excitement. You would never, never apply those emotions to the worst time in your life. Our gratitude is often closely correlated and connected with the emotions that we're feeling. I would say with some relative certainty that not one of us in here expressed to God with the same level of enthusiasm or sincerity how thankful we were for the worst time in our life in the same way that we did during the best time in our life. Because we have learned to use gratitude as a tip, as a reward, as a gesture of our appreciation. You get my thanks for this. This is to teach you this is what I want in my life. This is what I'm thankful for. We're honest. We are being sincere. We don't offer to God the same kind of gratitude during our painful moments as we do during the pleasurable moments. But it will be impossible then to give thanks to God in everything. Listen to what it says in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, everything you pray for, it's attached with God. Thank you for being the God that you are. Thank you for being a God that says no to me when you say yes to me as well. Thank you for being a God that withholds from me as you give to me as well, God. Thank you for being a God that allows me to go through that which grows me, even though those are things I don't want. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. It's going to God over and over again, knowing his character and knowing his goodness and knowing that he is a truth teller and your emotions are liars. Because listen, about emotions, emotions are a a elaborate system of smoke and mirrors that deceive us into believing that things are far worse than they actually are, that they're gonna last much longer than they actually will, or it makes us believe that things are far better and far more rewarding and far more life-affecting than they actually are, and that we're gonna have these things always. That's what emotions will tell you and then you only need to wake up the next day to find out that during your sleep, your emotions went away and you woke up and you couldn't remember how you were supposed to feel until your mind told you, don't forget, you're supposed to be upset today. Don't forget, you're supposed to be happy today and we have to work ourselves back into that. Listen to what Colossians 3, 16 through 18 says. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Let what you know about Jesus to be true fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other. That doesn't mean counseling in the formal way, but give encouragement and advice to each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is how you take what you know 
and make it your first response instead of what you feel. Feelings are very, very deceptive. Have you ever misheard your spouse? I haven't, I'm asking if you ever have. (laughs) It's amazing the feelings that can occur with a misunderstood sentence. And I say, what, what is that, what are you, what is that about? And she looks at me like, what are you about? What are you, what? And I say, you just said blah, blah. I didn't say that, I said, and she says it. The feelings that I felt were liars. It made me feel angry and defensive and resentful based on something that was completely untrue, something that was misunderstood. Can you imagine how many of our circumstances, how many of the things we're going through that we fully, completely, totally misunderstand, we're experiencing it with this very, very finite, limited perspective, and God goes, calm down. You don't even know what's gonna happen in the next five minutes. Doofus, would you just Trust me, God says that to me. I don't know if he says it to you. But you see, God sees our past, our present, and our future as one picture. He sees everything happening at the same time. So he knows that this moment of discomfort, this pain, this challenge, and the emotion that we're feeling about it is not the complete picture. Imagine the frustration he feels with us when he knows that we're reacting without gratitude for a thing that we're going to be grateful for. The most difficult season of ministry in Lisa and I's life lasted about a year and it was painful. It was the most painful thing we've ever experienced in 30 years of ministry. It marked us, it changed us, it scarred us, it affected us. And in the midst of it, I was so terribly confused by why God would allow us to go through that, why he would allow us, and then even coming out of it for uh, following at least another year, I couldn't talk about it without literally bursting into tears because I was so hurt and so angry at God. And I'm so grateful that he took us through it. I am now, I wasn't then because I trusted my feelings and I trusted what I saw and I trusted everything but God. You see, God wasn't being good to me is what I thought. God isn't protecting me is what I thought. God isn't providing for us is what I thought. God is cruel and distant and cold and he's letting us go through this because he doesn't care. And I was wrong. Because I will tell you this, that season in our life, as brief as it was, led us here. And so for almost 16 years as lead pastor and three years prior to that as youth pastor, those 19, almost 20 years of God's favor and blessing and the growth and the wonderful things that God has done in Lisa and I's life and given us a loving community and a city in which we are passionately in love with and a season of ministry in which we've seen God do amazing things, that would not have happened 
without that painful year in our life that I thought God had abandoned us. You see, it would have been so much smarter for me to give him thanks and praise because that would have changed my emotions. That would have set into effect new emotions in which I said, God, I don't know what you're doing now, but it's gonna be good because this is horrible. (laughs) You must have something amazing planned because I feel like you are piling on the crap, Lord. Thank you, God, for the misery because I know that you'll turn that and you'll multiply it into favor in my life. And then third and finally is this, being thankful for in everything is only possible for me if my thanks is how I show my trust in God's future plans over my present situation. How I show my trust. So I don't think anyone likes the word sacrifice really don't because sacrifice is a word that uh, triggers a feeling of involuntarily giving up that which we treasure and value and we don't want to surrender. And I say involuntarily because nobody gives up the things they want most without there being a really, really good compelling reason. We wouldn't just offer that up. So sacrifice means giving up that which you care about and the only compelling reason that moves most of us to do that is that what we will get in return is more valuable. Not equally valuable because we know that this thing is a known quantity. We like this thing, we value this thing, this has worth. Why would I give that to you for something that only has equal value. I already have this in my life. I don't know when you're going to give me the thing of equal value, but something even greater comes to you in exchange for that. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible analogy, but it's at least practical and helps us wrap our minds around what it looks like to exchange that which we value for something else that has even greater value. It's getting more and more expensive to eat out. I mean, Lisa and I ate at Chick-fil-A the other day and it was $35 for the two of us. And it's not like we order jumbo meals or anything. We just order enough to feed us. But that was preferable than taking a 20, a 10, and a five and shoving that into my mouth and trying to chew that up and swallow that and use that as my sustenance and nutrition for the day. I had a greater value on the Chick-fil-A than I did on keeping this money. So I laid down what I worked for and what is limited and what I need in my life in exchange for something that has greater value. Fortunately, that came quickly. It was only a few minutes after I gave up what was valuable to me before the thing that I paid for got to me, but sometimes we have to wait. And it has to be of even greater value if we're going to wait a long time for it. We'd rather spend our money on something we want now than save it for a 5% yield at the end of the year, right? That's just our nature. But listen to what it says in Psalm 50, 23. But giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. 
There are multiple passages throughout the Bible that talk about a sacrifice of thanks, an offering of thanks, a sacrificial giving of thanks. It's something we do that truly, and God himself says, this is what honors me more than anything, is that you show that you trust me, that you show that you value me, that you show that you care more about me and what I can do for your future than this thing right now in your life. The thing you're going through, it feels difficult to give God praise and thanks and appreciation and gratitude for the mess, for the pain, for the discomfort, for the misery, for the sadness, for the brokenheartedness that you're feeling in this moment. It feels really risky to do that because you think God's gonna think I like this. God's gonna think I want more of this. God's gonna think keep piling it on to me because that's what a unthinking person would do to you if you kept thanking them. Like the military, those in the military, thank you, sir, may I have another? You just think, I, I, there's a no-win situation, I can't thank God for this because he's gonna think that I want this in my life. Can I tell you that God doesn't think that, not even for a moment? God thinks, ah, they get it. They get it, they get that they don't see it all. They get that I'm better and I'm bigger and I'm more. They get that their future is in my hands and that this is just a moment and they don't even understand the goodness that's pouring out of this moment. The the maturity and the growth and the health that's forming inside of them, their ability to confront future pain and discomfort and misery differently than they are right now. Their ability to be able to resist being overwhelmed by emotion because the certainty of what they know in their heads. I want to end with this story that takes place in the book of Acts. And Acts is what follows the four gospels and it's the full name is the Acts of the Apostles. This is the early church. This is what happened when all of them disseminated and began to plant churches and began to meet in homes and began to do the things that became what we call church today. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor, a hater of Christians, who had radically converted to being a Christ follower after Jesus appears to him on this road he's traveling, blinds him, lays him on his back and goes, what is your problem with me? And Paul has this encounter and then becomes a radical, devoted follower of Christ and has affected Christianity more than any other person other than Jesus himself. He's traveling through Greece with his traveling partner, Silas, a co-minister. And they are in a specific uh, uh, area in Philippi. That's when you see the book of Philippians, that's the church of Philippi. And there is a woman who is possessed by a spirit that enables her, she's a slave girl, and she's possessed by a spirit that enables her to tell people's fortunes. But she's following them around, and at the top of her lungs, she's yelling, these men are messengers from God, they're here to tell you how to be saved. These men are messengers from God, they're here to tell you how to be saved. And she doesn't shut up, she won't shut up. She's screaming it at the top of her lungs. Everywhere they go, she won't leave them alone. You'd think, well, that's amazing. She recognizes their pastors and they know the truth. Imagine if I was trying to speak to you right now and Pastor Dan was all, PC is a messenger from God. Listen to this message, it's really awesome. 
I'd be like, somebody cast the demon out of Pastor Dan. And that's what Paul did. He called the spirit out of her and commanded that spirit to leave her in the name of Jesus. That did not make her slave masters happy because they made a lot of money from her. So this girl's delivered of this demonic spirit that gives her this power. And the slave masters take Paul and Silas and they bring them before the city officials, the authorities. And this is what happens and we pick up in Acts 16, 22 through 26. The crowd joined in with insults and insinuations prompting the city officials to strip them naked, Paul and Silas, in the public square so they could be beaten with rods. They were flogged mercilessly and then were thrown into a prison cell. The jailer was ordered to keep them under the strictest supervision. The jailer complied, first restraining them in ankle chains, then locking them in the most secure cell in the center of the jail. Now picture this, it's midnight. In the darkness of their cell, Paul and Silas, after surviving the severe beating, aren't moaning and groaning, they're praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners in adjoining cells are wide awake, listening to them pray and sing. Suddenly the ground begins to shake and the prison foundations begin to crack and you can hear the sounds of jangling chains and the squeak of cell doors opening. Every prisoner realizes that his chains have come unfastened. Now the story goes on that every person in the jail is liberated. The jailer hears all of this, wakes up, and he says, I've lost control of the prisoners. I've let go of the two most valuable prisoners. I'm gonna get killed, so I'm going to take care of it myself. He begins to get ready to run the sword through himself, and Paul yells out to him, stop! Don't, 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 don't. Everybody's here, everybody's accounted for. Paul and Silas reappear before the authorities who say, uh, we've decided to let you go once they had found out that Paul and Silas were natural-born Roman citizens, which gave them privileges that had been overlooked when they were without trial, beaten, and jailed. Things changed dramatically in that moment, but I want to take you back to the really most important part that in the midst of having the pain and the welts and the bloody open wounds on their body, the indignity and the humiliation of being stripped naked in front of men, women, and children, of being falsely accused, lied about, and then jailed with no certainty that they would ever be released, but rather they could have rotted in that jail cell for the rest of their lives. And instead of complaining, instead of moaning and groaning, they praised God. They sang to him, they worshiped him, and they thanked him. And listen, then God acted on their behalf. You see, they responded in the right way. They understood who was in control of their future. They understood that they were paying down a down payment on the future gratitude they would feel for when God did what God will do. They were thanking God now, not when they could see the end, not when they could see the deliverance, not when they could see the chains being broken, not when they could see their freedom, not when they could see the wounds being healed. They did it in the midst of their pain. 
they sacrificed and gave God praise when it made no sense to give God praise. And God said, that I can't ignore. And he delivered them miraculously. And I want to tell you that in this season of Thanksgiving, this time we set aside that that we feel obligated to be thankful. I want to tell you that this should feel like the norm for us. This should feel like what we do all the time. This should feel like a reminder that we're on the right track, that in everything we give God thanks. In all of the no's as well as the yeses, in all of the pain as well as in the pleasure, in all of the poverty as well as in the prosperity, we always give God praise because we're praising Him for being him, for being our protector, our provider, our giver, even our disciplinarian, our deliverer from our circumstance. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just give yourself a moment to maybe hear what God's saying to you because you can hear him in the quietness of your heart In the secret places of your mind, God can tell you his love for you. He can whisper the promises of his provision for you. He can cover you with his spirit that reminds you that healing is on its way. That the pain that you're in the middle of, that the despair that you're feeling, it's lying to you. But he is truth. And his truth will liberate you from a life controlled by the emotions of circumstances and the unpredictability of things that happen that make us feel like he's forgotten us. We can just be thankful that we know him and he knows us. And if you don't know him this morning, I want to invite you, if you are not yet following Christ You can start now, right where you are sitting. You don't have to come up here, shake my hand. You don't have to do anything but just say, you're welcome here. You're welcome in my heart. You're welcome in my life. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to discover what you created me for. And can I tell you that he will begin a relationship with you today. I should say this. You will begin a relationship with him today. He's been following you, chasing you, covering you, going before you. You've never been without him. And if that's you, would you just slip a hand up? I don't want anyone else looking around. Just slip a hand up and say, yeah, that's, that's me. I want to start a relationship with him today. Thanks. Thank you. There's no other shoe that's going to drop. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass anybody. This is between you and him. Can we, every single one of us, pray this? Christ Jesus... I believe in who you are. And where there is unbelief, help me believe. Heal broken faith and help me connect with you. I know you have a purpose for me. And I know I'll stand in the way. So let me, help me, guide me to follow you. I give you my heart, I give you my mind, and I give you my life. 
Now for the rest of us maybe that are struggling with the inability to be thankful in everything, let me pray this over us this morning. God, we need your help. I don't think it's that we don't understand gratitude. I don't think we don't, uh, uh, are not not thankful to you, God. We truly uh, value and appreciate and are grateful for you, Lord, but that seems to be seasonal and it seems to be mercurial, God. We, we seem to do it at certain times and not at other times. It seems to come and go according to our circumstances and according to how we feel. Help us to understand what it looks like to sacrifice for the future of your blessing and favor. To give you now what we don't wanna give because we know that we're thanking you for you and not thanking you for this present circumstance. Help us in all of that. It's growing, it's maturing, and it's painful. But I believe that it's your will for us because your word says it is. And we thank you in advance for it now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.